Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. I'm glad that you're here for everybody who's joining us online. I'm so excited. If you watch this later, we're so excited that you're joining us as well. Uh, we are going to finish up our Romans 12 series called Transform today. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. We've been talking about giving our whole selves to God, about allowing him to reshape us in the way that only he can. And you know, that involves changing us. It, he invites us, and Paul speaks to us in Romans 12 about you know, laying aside our pride, our way of doing things, and humbly serving and loving one another. He talks to us about using the gifts of the Spirit that he has imparted to us for one Last week, we saw from the Apostle Paul how these things he calls us to are counterformational in our lives because we've already been taught how to react to things that happen in our lives and in our world. We've already been taught how to live, how to think. Um, our upbringing, our social sphere that we run in, all of that teaches us and informs us. We have a culture that throws a zillion ideas at us every single day and all the media we consume. So. You know, really, we don't just need to be formed. We come to God already formed. We need Him to reform us, to change us, and reshape our thoughts, our routines, our actions, and lives. So we put our lives back in His hand. You know, the Bible says we're like clay jars. We put ourselves back in the hands of the potter and with His skillful, tender hands. We let Him make us into new creations. And today, Paul continues, and we're going to wrap up with verses 17 through 21. You can think of this as counterformation part two. And, and really, what Paul's going to talk to us about today is how we live this out. It may be some of life's trickiest moments, those moments of conflict. I don't know, maybe you're here online and you've never had those moments of conflict with other people. I know I have and, and still do all the time. So let's see what Paul teaches us. Let's start in verse 17 of Romans chapter 12. He says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. It's good. We're going to step through this in a moment, but let's pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to direct our hearts. Jesus, we thank you that you're here in our midst, in our living rooms, with our coffee as we sit on our couches. Lord, you are here just the same as if you were all gathered together. And you still want to speak to us and inform us and shape our lives by your word. So, Father, we invite you to do just that this morning. Come and speak to us about maybe even situations that we're facing in our lives. And, and Lord, we will give you all the glory because we know that our lives cannot look like you call us to without your Holy Spirit shaping us from the inside out. We're so thankful that's what you promised to do with us. And you promised to lead us every day. So we welcome you this morning. We ask you to speak for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, 
a Chinese brother named Watchman Bee captured this story in his incredible book called Sit, Walk, Stand. He says this, A brother in South China had a rice field in the middle of a hill. And in times of drought, he used a water wheel that was worked by a treadmill to lift water up from the irrigation stream in the valley to his field up the hill. His neighbor happened to have two fields below his. And one night, his neighbor made a breach in the dividing bank and decided to drain off all of his water into his field. When the brother repaired the breach and pumped more water, his neighbor did the same thing again. And this was repeated three or four times. So he consulted his brother and he said, I have tried to be patient. I have tried not to retaliate, he said, but is it right? After they prayed together about it, one of them replied, if we only try to do the right thing, surely we are very poor Christians. We have to do something more than what is right. The brother was much impressed. The next morning, he pumped water for the two fields below his neighbor's fields. And in the afternoon, he pumped water for his own field. After that, the water stayed in his field. His neighbor was so confused and so amazed at his actions that he began to inquire as to the reason he would do such a thing. And in the course of time, the neighbor, too, became a follower of Jesus. In this passage, and as we've been reading all of Romans 12, Paul calls us to do some things that go beyond just seeking what is right or what looks right to us, or seeking what we see to be justice. He calls us like Jesus sometimes to react in ways that are peculiar, react in the opposite spirit in moments of conflict like this farmer had with his neighbor. It's kind of like reverse psychology. And I don't know if you're a parent online and maybe you've tried this before. I know I tried it. When you get tired of the same old routine with your children and you're convinced that no matter what you ask them, they want to go and do the opposite. So you start to pretend like you want them to do the opposite. Like, oh, no, I would just hate it if you eat your vegetables. I would hate it if you would sit at the table. Please, whatever you do, don't sit at the table, hoping that they'll defy you again and actually do what you want. This instruction from Paul is kind of like that a little bit. You know, he, he calls us, just like Jesus calls us, to play by a different set of rules, to lay aside this drive to always get our own way so that we can live out the ways of Jesus instead. This is what Christ calls us to. We're called to be different, to love our enemies in ways that stand out. Francis Schaeffer, an incredible theologian, he referred to this love as the mark of a Christian. He actually called it the final apologetic, the final proof that we have Christ in us. And as we said last week, living out the ways of Jesus like this is radical, and it shows the world something dramatically different than what the world is used to seeing. And it shows the world that Jesus is real, that he changes lives, he changes our hearts, because this isn't normal for us. It's countercultural. It's not natural. And it's especially unnatural in times where we're in conflict with one another. Like Jesus, who said, in this world you will have trouble, Paul assumes that there's going to be some evil things done in our world. People are going to do some things that aren't right, that are actually evil, and he warns us, don't do what the world teaches when those moments come. Because the world has ways of dealing with conflict. Maybe you've noticed, right? Hit back. Hit harder. Put them in their place. I may not have started the fight, but you can be sure I'm going to finish it, right? This is how our world operates. The natural impulse of our world 
in the midst of conflict is to respond with aggression, to escalate things, to make sure you get your way, get one up on you, have the final word. Jesus recognized this is the way of the world. This is the way that we're, we're typically taught to respond. An eye for an eye, he said. You heard it said. Alongside aggression is its shy but ugly counterpart, passive aggression. Smiles and jokes in public, but subtle digs at each other. Demeaning remarks. Sarcasm that bites a little too hard. Talking behind each other's back. In 2023, we've all but mastered the process of passive aggression. Or maybe we should say, it's mastered us. Whether, whether your typical way of responding that you've learned from the world is aggressive or passive aggressive, Paul is looking at something different. He's looking at, well, what are you trying to accomplish here? What's your desired outcome in these things? Is it justice according to me, myself, and I? Just a side note, in this passage, Paul, you know, he's calling us to you know, lay down our rights to what we see as justice. And this isn't a passage where Paul is giving a final doctrine on violence or nonviolence or protecting the innocent. So I know that his language here overlaps with so much of that debate amongst Christians. But that's not actually his focus in this moment. His focus is on the motive of our hearts, which is so common to us as humans, which is that motive for vengeance when somebody's wronged us. We want, we want vengeance. We want retribution. You know, you can see this. In reality, we idolize this in books and movies and TV. Our stories, our culture, we see this everywhere, right? I mean, trust me, I'm talking to myself here because when I read a good book that has, you know, justice involved, um, I love stories with clear good and evil. I love the moments where the bad guy finally gets what's coming to him, right? And please, I hope I'm not alone in that. <laughs> Someone in this room, maybe you give me a shout out. Like, we know what justice looks like. Like, if you've ever seen the movie Taken, as a father of a daughter, I saw the movie Taken, and I'm like, if that happened to my daughter, I would absolutely want to do what that guy's doing. He goes off on a rampage of vengeance, you know, and sometimes when I'm looking at the crazy chaos in the world, my inner Liam Neeson wants to come out and correct things and seek justice. But at the end of the day, we all know. The justice in my hands is not a good idea. It's not a sustainable thing for our world. For everyone to just roll on with vigilante justice and seek vengeance all the time, like that's not going to work long term in our world. My mom taught me this, and maybe your mom said something similar to you. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right. Paul says this, paying back evil for evil, it doesn't pay off. It doesn't work. This way of the world's operating, it, does, it just leads to endless cycles of violence against one another. And if you don't believe me, open up your Bible and turn to the book of Judges. If you want to read what happens when justice is in our hands, read the book of Judges. It's a horrible collection of stories of what happens when things go from bad to worse to, oh dear Lord, why is this happening? Because we take justice, and because that's what happens when we take matters into our own when that goes widespread. But thank God, unlike the book of Judges, we have a true king. We have a righteous judge. We have an unshakable standard of real justice in Christ that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the righteous one who never changes, and we can trust in his justice, is what Paul is saying here. See, Paul, he's not waiting on the world to change. 
He's not assuming and hoping that someday people will just get it, a light bulb will go off, and they will subscribe to God's ways or submit to God's authority. He's not waiting on that to happen. Instead, in this passage, Romans chapter 12, at the end, what he's doing is he's calling to you and me to look at our hearts and to be proactive. You see, when we want to react in the ways of the world and follow that kind of way of vengeance and justice according to me that feels so good to us in the moment, we always give the reason, well, they were out of line. That's why I did this, right? We're reacting to somebody else's crossing lines, and that's why I went off, whatever it may be. Paul says, stop looking at them. I want you to keep your eyes on you. You can't control what they do, but you can control what you do. If you look at the world, you're going to continue to find every type of malicious behavior, and you're going to have every right to go off or to hold a grudge. But we're called by Jesus to something different. To turn the tide, the ways that well in unique ways are responding in the opposite spirit. And again, Paul echoes Jesus here. You know, Paul, this, this thing that he's trying to teach us, it didn't even start with him, it starts with Jesus. If we have to lay down some rights in the meantime, he says, remember Jesus and look at the rights he laid down to bring reconciliation for us. These teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, we see them flesh out in the pages of the New Testament where the early church learned to live this out and turn the world upside down with radical love, even for their enemies. And this has been God's desire for his people since before Jesus gave us the Sermon on the Mount. Proverbs 20, 22 says this, Don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle that. In fact, it dawned on me that when God's people got taken off into exile, he told them, to live like this, to be peacemakers in the midst of the fact that they were exiles in a foreign land. In Jeremiah 27, verse 9, it says this, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Paul wants to assure us that nothing surprises our Lord. That he sees everything. That he's still the God who works in all things for our good. He's still the God who says, I, the Lord, love justice. So we can count on him for justice. We don't have to feel like we need to take every issue into our own hands and right every wrong all day long. I think before, you know, we move on, we need to recognize that Paul's not just giving us some theories and ideas he worked up. Paul lived this too. You know, remember, he lived this out. He was whipped beaten, stoned, to the point that people thought he was dead, not once, but multiple times, because he chose to live out the ways of Jesus. So he's calling us, as someone with the authority to do so, to look in our own hearts. And he gives us a few practical things in this passage. As we look to verse 18, he says this, if it's possible, and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's two really practical things there. Number one, if it's possible. because Sometimes it's not possible. But the question beneath the question is, who's making that call? Is it me who's determining it? This is impossible. This is an impossible situation. Right? You know, it's, he's not inviting us to a cop-out and just say, oh, that's, there's no peace possible in that situation to be lazy. He's calling us to trust that the Lord can do more than we can in a situation. Remember, Jesus said like this, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That being said, sometimes we do have fundamental disagreements. And in order to 
you know, find peace in that situation, we're asked to compromise on our commitment to God, and that has to be out of the question for us as believers. We know what we don't compromise on. Craig Keener points out that while God has always called his people to be peacemakers, it was for the sake of their witness to the world. It was never that they compromised their own beliefs. The point of the admonition here from Paul is to protect their witness and present, prevent unnecessary conflict. The old saying is true, though. It takes two to tango. You know, and if you're the only one who's coming to the table, you can't, you can't do anything for that other person. Once again, you can only control you. You can only tr- control one in the matter. And that really sets up the second practical part of what Paul's saying here. He says, if it's possible, he says, if it depends on you, as far as it depends on you. So no matter what the other person does in your life that you may be in conflict with, he's saying, you do what God's called you to do. You do what God's speaking you to do in that situation. And don't do it halfway. Take it as far as you possibly can to find peace in that situation. Maybe you've heard the saying, go the extra mile. That comes from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, too. You know, if somebody forces you to walk a mile, to carry their stuff for a mile, he says, go an extra mile with them. You know what? As far as it could possibly depend on you, take it all that God's asking you to do to live in peace. For our part, Paul says, we're following Jesus' lead. Amen? Amen. You know, one commentary says it like this. These verses that we just read, 17 to 21, says these verses summarize the core of Christian living. If we love someone the way Jesus loves us, we will be willing to forgive them. If we have experienced God's grace, we will want to pass it on to others. And remember, grace is undeserved favor. By giving an enemy a drink, we're not excusing their misdeeds. We're recognizing them, forgiving them, and loving them in spite of their sins, just as Jesus has done for us. In the end, we want to live according to his ways, not our ways. And that will always look like foolishness according to the world. I want to go back again to James chapter 3, which... I think parallels this passage from Paul just beautifully. And I want to read to you the end of James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. When we think about the ways of God versus the ways of the world, James says this, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And listen to this. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Doesn't mean it's always going to feel good in the moment. You know what? When we choose to obey Jesus, sometimes that actually hurts in the moment because it kills off ourself. And we're supposed to be living with self-control, dying to self. Haven't we been studying that in our discipleship journey? It's hard. It doesn't feel good in the moment. Anger feels awesome to us in the moment. When you are a red hot, anger feels so good in the moment until we realize the mess we've made, right? We're not called to be driven by our feelings. We're called to be driven by the truth. Okay. Instead of reacting hot-headedly and letting our feelings drive, we let the ways of Jesus dictate our ways. We let the truth of God saturate the facts of the situation. We choose to obey him. Not what feels good to our fickle hearts. Now, as his body, we have to be so careful with this. We have to be so careful not to follow the ways of the world, even though they sometimes feel great in the moment. 
the church in our time has seen a lot of compromise in this area as tensions have risen in our culture due to people of very, very different ideologies colliding. But the path to you and me looking more like Jesus, it's not mapped out by this popular way of seeking and imposing justice. It's not mapped out by stoking our anger up for vengeance. James says this in James chapter 1, human anger does not accomplish the righteousness that God desires. The righteousness of God doesn't come about by me and my anger. You know, this flies in the face of some of the things that we're being taught and even are being touted as Christian ideas and Christian responses to the changes in our culture. Wisdom from the world says this, use your outrage. Actively point out how stupid your enemies are. In fact, belittle them until they're a basket case and they can't even argue with you. That's what our world teaches us. We've seen Christians embrace this too, and that's so wrong. The Word of God calls us to see others, even enemies, through God's eyes, reminding ourselves that they too are made in His image, and they too are dearly loved and desired by God. We don't have to compromise truth. We don't have to condone the things that God doesn't condone to care about them, to be good neighbors to them. James calls us to be different. And in James chapter 1, again, he calls us to this. He says, be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry. That's how God is with us, isn't it? That's how he is with me, and I'm so thankful that he isn't just a big one of us that flies off the handle. Exodus 34, God describes himself and says that he is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. That he alone is the God of both justice and mercy. And he wants to put that hurt in us as well. He wants to show us how to do this because it's not natural to us. And it doesn't feel good always in the moment. But before we can let him shape his heart within us, you know, we have to put the old me on the altar and say, God, all of me belongs to you. Shape all of me, even the parts that don't feel good. I give you everything. That's what Paul started this whole thing off with. Present yourself, all your whole self, as a living sacrifice. Renew, let him renew your mind and show you his ways. This will never be natural to us. To love our enemies, to embrace those that we're in conflict with, to forgive in our hearts those who really in our minds are unworthy of forgiveness. That will never come naturally to us. Like C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then, to even mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger, he said. That's the ways of our world. Don't you dare forgive, right? It's not natural to us, but it is necessary. And as Dave Buring said in this last week's study in the disciple journey, obedience is the engine of transformation. Obeying the ways of God, even when it doesn't look normal to us or feel normal to us, is the engine of the transformation God wants to do in our hearts. If we want to let him reshape us to make us useful for the purposes he has for us, not just individually, but as a church, we need to obey his way. And Paul concludes in verse 21 by pointing us back to the big why. Why is he asking us to do these things? Why is he wanting us to do these things which don't feel normal to us. In verse 21, he says it like this. 
Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So why does Paul want us to deny our natural way? Well, there's two sides to this. He says, because of what the ways of the world do to us on the inside. When we operate in the ways of our world, the cycles of vengeance according to me, justice according to me, myself, and I, it does something on the inside of us. Cycles of anger and bitterness, they might feel good for a second, but they deform us out of the image of God. They warp our hearts over time. When we take matters into our own hands, we get sucked into fighting battles that ultimately don't belong to us. Those battles belong to the Lord. And in the midst of this, in the midst of fighting our battles that we shouldn't be fighting, what happens is we end up letting all kinds of yuck into our hearts. And our souls get filled up with this garbage until we, we actually become just like the people that we were so certain were wrong in the first place. I want you to consider King David for just a moment. You know, David had a moment where he had to live this out, what Paul is calling us to here. When Saul became jealous of David, he decided, you know what, I'm going to use this bright young man for spear practice. And David reacted to this outburst from Saul in a peculiar way. He chose not to retaliate, although he had every right to. I want to read to you a chapter from Gene Edwards' book, A Tale of Three Kings, which we're getting ready to do a study on on Wednesday nights in a few weeks. This is an incredible chapter, and Gene Edwards just puts this in the best way. It says this. David had a question in the midst of Saul throwing spirit at him. David had a question. What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Does it not seem odd to you that David did not know the answer to this question? After all, everyone else in the entire world knows what to do when a spear is thrown at them. Why, you pick up the spear and you throw it right back. And in doing, or when somebody throws a spear at you, David, just wrench it out of the wall and throw it back. Absolutely everyone else does this, you can be sure. Check this out. It says, and in doing this, small feat of returning thrown spears, you will prove many things. You are courageous. You stand for the right. You boldly stand against the wrong. You are tough and can't be pushed around. You will not stand for injustice or unfair treatment. You are the defender of the faith, the keeper of the flame, detector of all heresy. You will not be wrong. All these attributes then combine to prove that you are also obviously a candidate for kingship. Yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed after the order of King Saul. There's also a possibility that some 20 years after your coronation, you will be the most incredibly skilled spear thrower in all the realm, and most assuredly by then, quite mad yourself. What's Gene Edwards saying? He's saying, when we choose to respond in this way, it feels great in the moment. And people might even say, yeah, go, go you. You're doing great. But ultimately, what happens to you over time, inside, in your heart, is what God cares most about. See, David couldn't control what Saul was going to do. But he decided that he would not follow Saul's lead in that anger. Multiple times, he had Saul at the end of his sword. He could have killed Saul and been done with it. Ended his years of misery. But he refused to become King Saul 2.0 by letting that into his heart. He chose God's ways. And that's why we still read about him as the man after God's own heart. God wants us to live a different way. First, 
because he, he knows that these things are counterformational. They put us in his hands so that he can shape us and not let the world shape us in its ways. And second, he calls us to live differently because he wants to interrupt those plans of the enemy and bring about renewal, restoration, reconciliation that is only possible when someone breaks the cycle of bitterness and senseless anger. Paul calls us to a radically different way, the way of Jesus. And he requires us. Living like this requires us to lean on each other and to lean on the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. But when we step out in faith and practice these things, you know, Paul doesn't just give us commands. The Bible doesn't just give us commands to live like this. It gives us promises for what will happen when we do. And they're so good. He promises us that he will complete this transformation in us. He will work in us until it's complete. He promises that we will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is in and out of the situation, that we'll be part of his body, that he will bring true justice. His mercy will cover us, thank you, Jesus. When we trust and obey Jesus, you know, it may not be comfortable for us, but he promises us something better than an easy, non-confrontational pipe dream that's not reality anymore. You might be going through a situation right now. And I want to remind you what the word promises to you. If you'll step out and live in counterformational ways. These are promises that you can hang on to. Number one, Exodus 14, 14, write it down. Put it on your mirror, whatever you need to do. When the people of Israel had their backs against the wall, literally Pharaoh's chasing them, pushing them to the sea, God said this to them. The Lord, your God, will fight for you. You need only to be still. These aren't always our battles. The battle belongs to the Lord. Whatever situation you're facing, there are, there are steps that God may ask you to take. There are steps of obedience. They don't look like the ways of our world, but you can trust. You can be still and know that he is God. In the midst of the fire, in the midst of the hurricane, in the midst of the earthquake, he never changes. He is a God of justice, and he will fight your battles for you. And also remember what we just read from James in James 3.18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I want to see a harvest of righteousness. I want to see a world that looks more like what Jesus has in mind. Jesus has so so peace out there as his peacemaker. There may be a time when you're out there sowing the seed, you're planting those seeds in peace, and you don't see the results yet. God's faithful. Trust that he's working even when you can't see it. And trust that you will see hearts open, that no situation is impossible with him. And the breakthrough, when you've been praying for it, when you've been sowing into it, it is so sweet. It is sweeter than the anger we could feel as we just go off on each other. This journey that we're called to in Romans, it's a journey of trust to let God have the final say. But I want to encourage you as we spend some more time in worship, let the Lord speak to you. We're going to end with a final song. I just want to encourage you, let the Lord speak to you. You might be sitting on your couch today and you've got some conflict in your life. You got a situation going on. Maybe it's with a coworker or a customer or a boss. Maybe it's in your own home. You got a family member who's just being ridiculous. Maybe, maybe it's something that's beneath the surface. Maybe it's just unspoken. You know, that can be just as dangerous. Actually, that can be even more dangerous. We just pretend everything's okay, but something's really not okay. 
Like Paul said, let's not walk the path of the world in aggressiveness or passive aggressiveness. We know where that leads. We know what that does to us on the inside. But Jesus set us free so that we can walk in his freedom. Not so we can be enslaved by these things again. Now, there may be a prayer that as we worship today, maybe you just need to pray a prayer of just repentance. Say, God, I release this to you. I release this to you. Because I've been struggling with this situation. I've been struggling with this conflict, whatever. I can't fight this battle. I need you to fight this battle for me. Teach me how to walk out your ways in the midst of this. Maybe you need to just let go of some things because we worship. And the promise is this if you'll do that, if you'll say, God, teach me how to walk in your ways, he will fight the battles for you because he is the absolute standard of justice. He never changes, he doesn't shift like shifting shadows. And you'll trust him with those things, even the hurts of the past conflicts. You'll walk in his ways, you will see. Harvest of righteousness. I want to pray together. I just heard you. He's going to come back up. It's pretty cool to be able to say that in his basement here. Um, but I want to urge you today, if the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart, don't leave that place where you are, whether it's on your couch or you know, wherever you're watching, maybe you're in your car. Don't leave this place until you pray with someone. Maybe you need some type of say, hey, can I call you and pray? With you about something going on, maybe you got your U plus two or you need to let them know about something that's going on. But invite the Lord to lift those burdens from your shoulder. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Because we know that in this world we will have trouble. That's what you said to us. You know, if we're going to live out your ways, we can pretty much expect that we're going to have some conflicts sometime. But God, you're right there. We'll quiet ourselves and say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm obeying you. I'm not going to do what comes natural to me. I'm going to wait that little bit longer. I'm going to listen. I will hear that sweet whisper of your voice. And this is the way. Walk it out. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, Lord, we know. We know that you'll fight our battles for us. We know that it might not feel good in the moment, but the harvest of righteousness that's coming is so worth it. And Lord, we know that you see every battle. You see every time we're wrong. You see every time that we just feel things, whatever it may be. And you care about those things in our, our lives. You care about the littlest detail of our lives. And those conflicts are not little things. They can really fester in our hearts and bring a whole lot out of us. Lord, we pray that you would be with us in those things. We know you will. We're not perfect at this. We definitely haven't been perfect at this. We're not going to be perfect at this. But help us every day to take little steps in faith. And when those moments come, when the unexpected comes, like this morning, trying to get to church even, and just have church again, Lord, there are unexpected things in our lives. We pray that you would help us to look to you first, to turn our eyes to heaven and say, thank God I have someone who plays my battles. Thank God that I, I've got a God that I lean on. He, he knows what justice is. So I don't have to worry that I'm going to always be wrong because my God is a God of justice. He detests dishonest scales. He detests the perversion of justice. He sets himself up against it. He will fight this battle for me. So God, we're leaning on you. Teach us to do it. It's not in us. But we trust in our holy sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.